You are listening to Tech Nuggets and Thoughts Podcast, the show that focuses on principles and practices of coding and some interesting trivia around technology. We discuss all those things that a developer needs to know to craft better software. Listen to Nikhil, Christian, Siddesh, Mandar talk about their experiences and learning which will make you a better developer. Welcome to the 7th episode of Tech Nuggets and Thoughts. Let's continue our discussion about testing from previous episode. Let's start with the tools now. So JUnit I think is the best tool for unit testing regarding Java or in general XUnit is I would say best because best is subjective depending on your needs. Mm-hmm. And there are some people in Java for whom testNG is a better tool. In general, I would use JUnit in Java projects. But imagine I'm working with a highly skilled team of developers, way above average, that know exactly what test isolation means, then I would use TestNG. Because in TestNG you can do powerful things. There are also dangerous things. You can tell one test case that it depends on another test case as a precondition. That's a powerful thing. It's also a dangerous thing if abused. The reason why I would only use it with a very skilled, way above average team is because of the risk of abuse. People should have some experience in unit testing and test isolation before they start using something like that. A very nice thing about Java is typically you use Maven with a Surefire plugin to run your tests or you use an IDE to run your tests. If you use Gradle, you're still using the Surefire plugin. You just have a different syntax parser um, wrapped around it. Um, in that case, you can just mix TestNG and JUnit in the same project. So you can start with JUnit, and then for those few situations where you say, here we need TestNG, you use TestNG and you don't have to port your other tests. works just fine. That's also important to mix different versions of JUnit. Because maybe you have a legacy project with JUnit 3 and some people already wrote some new test cases with JUnit 4, but you would like to use JUnit 5. What do you do? Well, you just do it. The Surefire plugin allows you to do it. Um, JUnit 5 is awesome. Yeah, some things have been renamed to have better names, like before class was renamed to, um, to before all. And before was renamed to before each. I think before all and before each make it easier to talk with non-technical people about what's going on in the test. And also lets us have a unit broader than a class. Oh yes, definitely. There is no such law that says every implementation class must have exactly one test class. There's no such rule. Code should be covered. That's the rule. So, uh, one of the popular frameworks in JavaScript and Node.js side seems to be Mocha. And uh, Mocha is like, a, it's, a, it's a test execution framework. What From Java world, we know JUnit. It also has assertions and it is also the framework that executes the tests mm-hmm. and also grabs the results and uh, connects, to, connects to coverage tools, right? So, in, uh, in case of uh, Node or JavaScript, Mocha is an execution framework which has uh, methods for writing or declaring tests or test scripts or suits. 
and we can use it with multiple other assertion libraries and even the, the so the one of the popular assertion library is called chai chai as in the t chai and uh, the interesting thing i like about this library is that it supports multiple styles of writing uh, assertions so it supports expect type assertion so we say expect something to be something else or something uh, it also supports should type of writing assertion so a should be equal to b is also a way that we can write and since this is javascript it allows uh, i mean we, we can modify prototypes which means that we can expect or we can inject should as a method non enumerable method into an object and even uh, variables that are apparently string types can have should as a method added to them so that it becomes very natural to read the assertions so chai supports that and chai works very well with mocha which allows two which has two prominent methods one is describe and the other is it so it it allows for a very interesting way of writing tests so you say uh, describe and then the name of the higher name of the class or the module that you want to test and the test case itself starts with a function called it and your st test statement starts with should so it's a very very readable form of mm -hmm. writing a test so it says it into bracket should do so and so <laughs> and and you just have the same thing again inside the test so should be equal to so and so becomes very beautifully readable and expressive when we use mocha and chai together and i i tend to use those tools a lot now on java side we have a tool for coverage calculation called kavachura which which basically does instrumentation it basically annotates the uh, the the code with lines and functions and classes that the code belongs to and then uh, as executed by the testing tool will will verify if the particular lines function classes were or the paths were executed and will give us a coverage back in in javascript world we have another uh, a similar tool called uh, istanbul yeah i don't know why it's named istanbul <laughs> but uh, this it's a tool that does the same thing it instruments the javascript code then during the execution of test cases will will uh, monitor it and at the end of it will generate a report that is compatible with uh, the report that is also generated by kubertura or many other test coverage visualization tools uh, interestingly the command line utility to execute istanbul is called nyc so let's also discuss about cucumber then cucumber is i think um after test driven development cucumber is the biggest revolution to proper testing and to bring testing to the next level behavior driven development itself is already an improvement for me there's two stages of behavior driven development there's the behavior driven development that just evolves around communication and specification which gave us things like r spec in the ruby world and the ruby world made a big contribution in to, to making behavior driven development more known and more popular and that also gave us for example spock the problem that i see with things like rspec and spock it's not really a problem it's just a limitation is you're still writing code in a programming language in order to specify your behavior that code is elevated or with a dsl so it becomes closer to what non technical people can read and understand 
but I would not expect a non-technical person to be able to write a test for RSpec or Spock. But I would expect a non-technical person to be able to write a feature file in Gherkin to be executed by Cucumber or Specflow. They can do that because it's prose following a few rules. There is no programming involved. There's no algorithm involved. It really is just about the business language. They shouldn't be left alone with that. They should be guided by someone who has experience and make sure that there is consistency across scenarios and that there's also consistency across features in how things are phrased. And there are a few pro tips that should be followed that are too detailed to discuss here. But um, apart from that, we can have business analysts, product owners, requirements, engineers, QAs, users, write feature files. That's pretty awesome. And another key thing which is delivered by Cucumber, by the way, Cucumber was not the first framework to deliver that. The origins of that can be traced back to the code that Ward Cunningham was writing in 1989, based on which he then later wrote FIT, based on which a few other people have written FITNESS, which is a wiki for acceptance tests, you could say. Um, that's how you can trace it back. By the way, Ward Cunningham is brilliant. You can trace a lot of things back to him. He's also the inventor of the wiki, the co-inventor of um, extreme programming. He was the maintainer and still is of the Portland Pattern Repository, without which the entire today's software engineering craft and agile movement is unthinkable. I hear you that Cucumber is amazing, but I have a few thoughts on this. Like, uh, this, uh, it's just too, it, it's just very, very verbose. The way to parse the test uh, statements written in Gherkin, convert that into executable test cases, we have to go through and implement a whole lot of classes and a whole lot of uh, uh, code to get those statements as inputs to finally run the test. I haven't experienced that myself, but I have heard that reservation against Cucumber from others before. Hmm. So maybe we should just um, have a session where we go through that. Yeah, I would like to see the right way to implement Cucumber. Maybe, but, may, maybe. but also maybe my um, view of verbosity is different. Yeah. Um, whatever we use influences how we think. I'm using Java since 95. Not as the only language, I've used a lot of other languages as well. Java is a verbose language. I'm also one of those people who write final everywhere in Java and all the, those variables. And it is verbose, I admit. So my, my threshold or my pain tolerance towards verbosity might be different from others. It's not that I in general like verbose codes, but there are flavors of verbosity to which I am tolerant that maybe you're not. Yeah. Could be. This is another thought that comes to my mind usually is like uh, we have to rely on regex to extract data that is there in the statements in Cucumber. Ah, that's no longer the case. Ah. Yeah, so with the latest Cucumber updates, how it works now is instead of having a regular expression, you have 
a placeholder name in curly brackets, like curly bracket string curly bracket, or curly bracket digit curly bracket, curly bracket number curly bracket. And this word like string number digit is a lookup for mappers, for parameter type mappers in a map. And you can just put a class onto your class path, which defines your own mappers for whatever you need to map, which I just did yesterday for a project that's going to launch quite soon, where I needed a map for your L and your I, because I didn't want to call those constructors in my code. I said, let Kukuma do it. Just define a mapper. Offload what you can. Hmm. Actually, uh, it's been a while since I worked on Cucumber, and since then, uh, since my last experience, I moved on to Spock. Primarily because I haven't encountered much non-technical teams that are ready to write Gherkin. They usually write something like a statement or maybe user stories that ultimately I have to put into code. And if I'm doing it, then I'd rather do it in a way that is simpler for me. And I found Spock to be very expressive. It is very, very uh, closer to Cucumber in my many senses. Uh, but but I like it that it's it's, a gro it's in Groovy. It is you can write string statements as your function names or test case names, which is which is usually a limitation that I find with uh, JUnit because then you have to name your test cases with uh, in a readable format. Uh, rather, I mean, to, to, to make sense of them. Uh, in, in Spark, it becomes very obvious because I can write statements as function names or test case names. Um, regarding Cucumber, it only makes sense to me when you're ready for at least a little bit of verbosity because, um, yes, these feature files, they have a certain level of verbosity because they're pros. That's it's important that they are pros so that non-technical people can read and even write them. When I had to introduce, um, not had to, but wanted to introduce um, Cucumber into a project, what I typically did is I showed those feature files. So first I created a few feature files myself. And then I showed these feature files to non-technical people and uh, ask them about their opinion. And um, the f so the first level was to get a consensus that this would be valuable. Then the next level is, days or weeks later, I show them more of these files and ask them if they think this is useful and if we should introduce this. I do not yet tell them that the expectation is that they have to write them. What I want to achieve with these things is I want them to come up with the idea themselves that they should be writing these things. So the next thing that I try and ask is, do you think that this could be a form of communicating the acceptance criteria on the stories? And then they say, yes, definitely. And then so many of them said, next time I'm writing this, I'm going to try, but I need help. Yeah, and then, of course, you offer the help. Yeah? So that's one way that I well, that worked for me in the past. I can't promise it's going to work with everyone and every team. Yeah? But for me in the past, that has worked. And I liked it. And everyone liked it. Another thing was 
doing a training for the team in Cucumber. They not only need the technical training to know how the Cucumber framework works, but they also need the training about what are certain steps or cultural elements that they have to integrate in their processes in order to make this work for them. Like, you have to maintain a library of steps. And then you need to make tools like IntelliJ IDEA with Gherkin plugin available to the business analysts, not expecting them to write code, but just, so this is your editor. It works just like Notepad, but if, there's a, if you write a step that doesn't exist, it's going to be yellow. And then you decide, is this a new step that you're coming up with, or did you actually mean a step that already exists and you just can pick it from the drop-down? And then when they see the drop-down, they want to use the tool. <laughs> <laughs> and imagine how useful this is when you integrate this with Selenium. So basically, you have this UI test, uh, you write a UI test, but you also then write a feature file that actually explains them. So just imagine that the business person is feeling that, okay, as a user, I enter this as a you know, email ID or user ID and I enter this and then you just execute it in at the background, it happens, it works. There's another thing which um, can be helpful for teams to introduce a technique like Cucumber and Gherkin for acceptance testing and making sure that it works nicely for them. When we talk about Agile, specifically about extreme programming, what we're also talking about is taking the waterfall and turning, flipping it upside down, turning it on its head. This is what test first means. And that what, what continuous refactoring means. Yeah? You can't do the design after the product, but you don't do the design, design before the product, you do the design at least while. Yeah? So you turn it on to its head as much as you can. For a board, it means that for the time of introduction, you could have a new column on your board to do acceptance test failing in progress done to force your workflow to start with a failing acceptance test that has a number of effects on your team to create a failing acceptance test your team needs the acceptance criteria it will come back to your business analysts in case the feature files are incomplete it forces your team to use that framework because it's in the process on the board and you have the failing test first. You know these tests, when these pass, you're done with the story. Teams will find it weird at start, but it's a lovely instrument to transform teams in a very short time. And it's very powerful, it works, works like a charm. Right. So the tools that we've so far discussed are mostly unit testing tools. Yeah. So anything about an end-to-end -end integration testing tool that we've used? Yeah. So uh, Selenium basically uses WebDriver to make calls to the browser directly. And uh, another advantage is that you can use your uh, language-specific client libraries, which means you can write the Selenium test in whatever language you want. So that is an advantage you get and it is open source. And uh, you have multiple ways, multiple choices of, you know, uh, finding the element. So basically it is 
not really a UI uh, test in a terms that it uses OCR or something. It actually deals on a browser level. So that is one good thing. And uh, you have various uh, locator strategies like ID, name, class, xpath, which means you can actually locate the elements and then interact with those. So that's how Selenium is. And then comes Appium. So Appium also, Appium is mostly for this uh, mobile testing. So you have, you can test iOS and Android and it uses the WebDriver API. And again, same thing, it's an open source tool and it also has this language specific client libraries. So you can write the test that you want uh, in the language that you want. So that's how Appium and Selenium are. Well, uh, another type of end-to-end -end integration tests would be testing directly via invoking the API. Wherein the, there's no UI, but there's a maybe rest endpoint. So we, we need to test directly by invoking the uh, endpoint from, uh, from a different process where the API server is running. So one such tool could be Postman, which has now a Node.js library that we can use, uh, invoke uh, requests to the API, get the response back and verify the response. Uh, one other type of tests are uh, wherein there is a client and a server and uh, usually it means that the client, uh, the server exposes a contract that the client adheres to or even the server adheres to. And uh, as, the pro as the code or the application progresses, as the behavior changes, it is possible that the server might break that interface, that, un that unsaid contract with the client. So if there was a, I mean, there, there are tools that will allow us to verify that the server retains or maintains the contract. And those, those tests are called as contract validation tests. Uh, one such tool is packed that allows us to declare a particular contract or an interface exposed by an API. And uh, when we run the back test, it will go in and verify that the interfaces are there too by the server. Mm -hmm. So, so, so when, when, for example, let's say there are newer versions of the API come in and we inadvertently change something that affects the older version of the API and breaks the consistency, Pact is a tool to point it out to us. In Spring, now we also have something for that. It's the Spring Contracts, which allows us to test exactly those REST API contracts. Um, I personally have different approaches depending on the situation, how I deal with such things. Um, we were talking of integration testing here. So the type of test that we write is a test that influences or verifies the behavior on an architecture level. Now, can two components interact with each other, like a front-end and a back-end, or one application and another application? That's why we need contracts. Now, if, you, if you're inside a program, these contracts are verified by the compiler and your language on a structural level and by your unit tests on a behavioral level. When we zoom out, we need tests for that, and we want tests that are um, isolated. Actually, integration tests are a lie, in a sense, because most integration tests do not really integrate. They only verify the integratability based on exactly such contract tests. But for the matter of integration, it usually is enough. 
we, we try to be precise with these contracts and um, therefore start trusting these integration tests which do not really integrate. So that's completely okay. I don't have a problem with the word integration test not really meaning what it was originally long back supposed to mean. The approach that I take is I just use an HTTP client and Cucumber and um, the type of feature file varies depending on what is my control over the contract. If the contract is purely under my control, my feature file will not mention the contract at all. My feature file might just be given I'm currently not logged in. When entering test user as a username, uh, when logging in with test user as a username and test password as a password, then I'm logged in successfully. That is a feature file that I can execute as an acceptance test by implementing the step definitions with Stellenium or Appium. I can run the same feature file as an integration test by implementing step definitions with an HTTP client. And I can run the same test as a unit test by just directly creating my model and passing it in a call to my service. Which means I can use the same executable specification and run it with different implementations on different layers of the test pyramid. And the reason why I stay away a bit from tools like Postman, I'm not saying there are bad tools, the way I stay away from these tools is I just fell totally in love with this power of Cucumber meandering between the layers of the test pyramid with the same identical specification. I totally fell in love with it. Actually, taking this idea of, of uh, integrations tests not actually integrating, there's one type of testing that we did not actually cover. Uh, all the testing that we talked about is before we go to production. Yep. <laughs> there are tests that we can execute after we go to production, that is in production tests, which probably are in true sense after integration and true sense the integrated product's behavior yes. can be tested. But it's very, very delicate and very... Yes. Uh, we need to be very careful when implementing these tests. Yes. Uh, so what we essentially do in, uh, after in production tests is once the product is live, we basically perform a round of sanity to make sure that the basic success flows at least are working acceptably. So that may be something that we would, if, if the product is, has a UI, that may be something that we would do with, with a tool like Selenium. But we have to be uh, very sure that in writing these test cases, we do not leave any side effects in the application. Yes. Because if you run this in production, you want that basically the state is not altered. I like to call these tests smoke tests. Hmm. Although for different people or different steps in your process, smoke tests might be different things. In general, I would call something a smoke test if it runs fast and with little effort it gives me a reasonable confidence that certain key fundamental aspects of my system are working. And I like non-intrusive smoke tests for production. 
Yes, I love that. And I like it to all. I like to automate this. So, the production deployment, the complete cycle, should be. So you've done all the verification up to whatever you have before production, like staging or pre-prod or however you call that. And if all that is verified, then you deploy to production, you know, run your Terraform scripts to update the infrastructure if necessary, and um, spin up the new containers in the new clusters and Kubernetes and whatever you do for deployment production. Then run your smoke tests, and if they fail, automatically roll back. That would be really interesting to achieve, in a way. Um, thinking, what would it mean to roll back an entire stack? Uh, maybe we have two stacks, one live stack, and we have one inactive stack. Uh, we just probably in we deploy complete stack, complete application in an inactive stack, run smoke test, verify that it is running and then change the load balancer to route traffic to the stack and take down yeah. the existing stack. Yes, that, that works. Um, so whether your strategy is that you go live after the smoke test in your mirror environment or whether you have to smoke test the real environment, that also depends on how much of your infrastructure and your application depends on the infrastructure that performs the switch. Mm. Yeah. So what you described works for a lot of people. And if it works for you, you should use that. It's better. But if it doesn't work for you, then the fallback is you smoke test after and then you roll back. Well, uh, I mean, we discussed a lot of testing tools, but we did not cover any of the mocking libraries. I'd just like to give shout out to a couple of tools that I really, really like for the niche needs for mocking. One is uh, the, the tool for Java called JMocket. It's an extremely powerful mocking library, but like they say that uh, we have to be very, very careful when using it. It just gives a tremendous amount of power uh, when we are testing, but it also means that it allows us to write really, really, really bad code with that much power. It can even mock constructors, it can mock static methods and on classes. So that's one. Uh, PowerMock and Mockito are standard go-to libraries for Spring uh, code bases. There's one other library that is uh, that allows us to mock the network calls. That's WireMock. Uh, so for cases where we want to reach out to external services and it's not easy probably to get a stub uh, service in place for that, WireMock would, could be a very, very useful tool to mock the uh, call that leaves your network and, and replace it or be or handle it with a test server defined or, or a dummy server defined in the test code itself. So just a shout out to a few mocking tools. For some teams, the software that they deliver is not what is used by the end user. For some teams, the software that they deliver is just part of a bigger system. Hmm. And if you want to be agile <coughs> and deliver with confidence in such a context, then you have to be aware of the following fact of nested development life. Your acceptance test is only the next layer's integration test. 
And if you mm. want to deliver with confidence a part in the whole of the big picture, try to get hold of the entire thing and its entire test. This will not be possible for all teams for various reasons, especially if there's hardware involved. Mm. But if it's pure software and you can get that, then you can achieve agility not only in a small team but also in a huge team developing a huge product. Alright, so on that note, let's conclude today's podcast. This is Nikhil signing out. This is Christian signing out. This is Sidesh signing out. This is Mandar signing out.